<laughs> okay. Yeah, woo means it's time to get this podcast a rolling. And uh, Jay, should we just apologize for last week not being here? Yes. Being absent, absent yeah. fathers. <clears throat> well, let's let's be honest though. It was only because like schedules were just totally like crazy last week, and um, yeah, it was just it was weird that we couldn't get it done, but we just couldn't get it done. Just it That's happens. It. What so you we're do? back now. We're back now, and there was no there was nothing really to speak of last week, so we got a lot to catch up on. So we yeah, the want- podcast is basically the same as it would have been, right? Right. Because there was literally nothing last weekend, but we have got a ton of stuff. So hopefully we can make it entertaining and fun, and because it's probably going to be a little bit long. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit long. We could, there's a ton of stuff to talk about. And in this one, we're going to talk about Moto America because we wrapped up round one. We're going to talk about MotoGP from Jerez. We're going to talk about MotoGP Fantasy. We're going to wrap up Supercross season and declare the winner of the Pulp MX Fantasy League, who wins an Arai helmet. Um, and, uh, you know, look, just want to remind everybody that there's some videos posted from my Greg's Ride of the Races stuff that's available on Greg's Garage TV YouTube channel. So go check all that stuff out. And Jay, before we get into this, because, you know, this is presented by Arai and I do need to do a read and all that kind of stuff. Wanted to really quickly get out of the way that Eli Tomac and Kawasaki are parting ways. Um, and it looks like Tomac's going to Yamaha. That's interesting news, don't you think? Yeah. And I read, I think I read on Racer X last night that it's, they're, they're thinking that Plessinger might go to Red Bull KTM and that Jason Anderson might take the spot of Tomac over at Cowie. So there's a I, I like I like when there's a lot of movement like that with certain guys. I mean Anderson's been with Rockstar forever on the Husky. Cow, you know Tomac's been what five or six years on the Cowie, so he's moving. I just think it's kind of fun when you, you know, you start thinking about guys in different colors, like in any sport, whether it's motocross, road racing, whatever it is. So um, yeah, next year should have a new flavor, a new look for some riders as far as uh, where they're going to be in, in Supercross and motocross. What is funny is that all this talk is going on right now before the start of the pro motocross season. So all these racers are going to know that they're departing from their teams and have one more season with them. Should be very interesting to see that. But Jason, this one is presented by Arai. And did you know, Jason, that Arai helmets are lined with an antimicrobial material? Yeah. The interior liner gives you odor resistance, dirt resistance, and those antimicrobials that you love so much. Isn't that right, Nolan Lampkin? You can stay fresher longer and enjoy a comfortable ride in the latest Arai helmet. Check out AraiAmericas.com and pick what you like. Then head down to your local dealer for fitment or grab a new lid. AraiAmericas.com. And I say Nolan Lampkin, Jason, because, you know, when I was out at Chuckwalla, that was one of the first things he said to me. Hey, antimicrobials that you love so much. I go, that's right. That's right. He's a beaut. Old Nolan. He is a beaut. So, I mean, uh... You know, with that, let's just jump right into it, shall we? I okay. mean, we got we got round one of out of the way with Moto America, and you know, I think that uh, you know, Greg, this is like our fifth year commentating, and I, it, it's for you and I. I think both we looked at each other after Saturday in our booth, and we're like, man, we've got racing this year. We've got races to call. We've got new winners. We got new people on the podium in every class, even though we don't talk about twins cup and we don't talk about thousand, uh, stock thousand as you like. Oh to call it. yeah. Congratulations. You see, I saved myself there. Yeah. Um, but man, it's exciting right now in Moto America and 
you know, I went down to road Atlanta fighting a little bit of a bug and, and uh, so I didn't want to spread it around, but I got down to the pits, but from our viewpoint in the paddock or from our viewpoint where we commentate um, the last couple of years, when you look out across and we can see the whole paddock, it was a little sparse. There were big holes this year. There was none. It looked slam packed with people. As far as all of our participants, our grids were way fuller. The amount of people that showed up in Atlanta, I never actually heard a count as far as spectators go, but it was, it was busy. It was slammed. There was a lot of people. And um, man, if, if our racing goes the way it had gone in Atlanta, um, we are in for a really fun year. Could not agree more. And some of the teams were plagued with your typical round one teething problems, even though they had tested and testing had gone well and they'd done everything. There were some issues there um, without question. It put some people on their back foot, but ultimately we got some good racing. So yeah, we, we really did. And I think that, when you look at our top class, our premier class in Superbike, there's so many storylines there. I think that when you go right back to the beginning of the, the offseason, when it very, very first started and Cameron Bobier moved on, we'd already heard talks about Josh Heron coming in. And, and of course, he brings Fresh and Lean with him, which is outstanding. So right off the bat, we're like, man, all year long last year, I'm like, you know, if Heron's on, uh, you know, if he's on one of the monster Yamaha's of Richard Stamboli, he's going to be a guy to deal with right away. And he had a couple little teething problems at, at road Atlanta, um, missing the first session, um, and things, but he, he kind of like, when you look at it, he kind of bounced back. He got two podiums. He himself said, Hey, I don't like being that far back, but we'll take these two thirds, take these, those, those points. So when you talk about guys having teething problems, I think that, you know, I, I kind of think about the guy that we, we kind of figured at the very beginning of last year's offseason, that this guy might be the guy. But, boy, when you look at the overall weekend, there were so many storylines. When And I think that you start off, uh, you know, Loris Baz shows up uh, to to our first round and put in a ton of laps that first session, Greg. I watched him. Uh, the Ducati obviously was working very well. Loris was going about his business, um, putting in a ton of laps. Jake Gagne was fast the second they unloaded that thing from the truck. And I think that's the thing that I'll remember the most is that Gagne was, you know, basically leading every session. He just seemed like he had a little bit more on all those guys. Matthew Skultz, same. And when it came race time and qualifying time, those were the three that were going to be on our front row. We had Gagne, who sets pole time that was quicker than what Cambobier did last year. And then you've got uh, Matthew Skultz, who we knew after the Coda tests, you know, you and I both talked about, I just feel like it's going to be a different year for Matthew. He just looked hungry and ready to go and being with that great team. And then uh, Baz on the front row. So I don't think the front row surprised me that much. Um, then you had like, you had, you had Heron and you had Bobby Fong, second row, Cam Peterson. So when the races started, Greg, I think that it was kind of, you kind of got the feel that Gagne was kind of supposed to be the guy. Every session he was quickest. He had a little tip over in qualifying. Um, and it kind of looked like it was going to go that way, but he breaks on the, what, the second or third lap after taking the lead from Skoltz, who I think was going to give him a, a battle all the way. Um, and then Skoltz goes on and marches on to win the first race of the year. Yeah, it was it was interesting with Gagne from the perspective of Jake doesn't normally show a, a rainbow of emotion. Mm -hmm. He's normally really steady. He's got a really good head about him. He's not one that I would characterize as someone who lives in the highs and lives in the lows. He kind of lives in the middle. And he was, he was upset because he knew he had it there, but you know, he saved it. You know, Skultz won the first race, Bobby Fong second with Heron third, a very solid, 
you know, podium, one that we could definitely have seen. Uh, unexpected from Baz to be making a move on Skultz and out wide and, and crashing. Um, yeah, just got into turn 10 a little deep, didn't he? And just... Yeah, and what Loris told me, Jay, was... I don't know if I got to say this on the broadcast or we talked about it, but when I spoke with Loris about it, he was like, look, I was down that back straightaway and I looked up the, ra- the track and going into turn 10 and I could see the lap traffic was there. So my priority immediately became to stay in front of Skultz so I can get through lap traffic first. And that's where he kind of made that mistake. Like the focus got taken off of the task at hand for the moment. And then he was out a little bit wide and he was in the dirt. Like there was no one had really been out that far before. Yeah. So yeah. it was, it was just the dirty stuff like that. And, and it was a bit of a mistake and I had gone to the pits afterwards and, and talked to the guys at Warhorse HSBK racing Ducati, New York team. <laughs> and um, everybody was jazzed. I mean, they were actually pumped. They were upset, obviously not upset, but they were bummed. They were bummed that they didn't score any points, but they were really pumped that Loris was doing it for the race win. And they know what they have in that guy. And I expect him to definitely win a few races, but the other side up, I think that the takeaway in the Hono Superbike class is, is that Baz isn't coming in to dominate either, you no, know, and that's, that's no. what some people in Europe were kind of saying, like, oh, we'll see how they do. It's like, dude, Jake Gagne's here. Josh Heron had a rough weekend. There's no doubt about it, yep. but the dude is fit. He's been working out. He's got a good head about him. He's got life changes that you've, you, you know, you, you alluded to on the broadcast. Yeah, yeah. And you know, when you're on your back foot and you miss a, a good chunk of that first day, that kind of sets the tone. And so, yeah, I get it podiums for Josh, but all Josh Heron looked at was first race. I was 12 seconds behind and the second race yep. I was 15 seconds behind. That's all he really cares about. Yeah. And the thing that you got to look at too, is like when you look at and you break these guys down, Matthew Skoltz looked amazing at the Coda test to me. He looked really good, put in a ton of laps, obviously very, he's fighting fit from his incident in Indy last year. He's had a lot of time off the bike. He came in hungry home race for that team, that Westby team, um, for him to get that win right off the bat on, uh, on Saturday was great when I was there, you know, cause where Greg and I sit, we kind of walk out our door and it's the same level. They hold the press conferences on. And I really liked the way Matthew handled his victory. It was one of those things where he was very happy to win for the team, but he also realized that Ganya had a problem. He also realized that Bobby Fong, Heron, uh, Baz, they were all going to come back stronger the second day. So he felt like, you know, I've got to up my game tomorrow as well. So he wasn't really resting on his laurels as much. Um, I think that all these guys have great perspectives when they see a guy, you know, not unlike what Bobby Fong said last year, it was good that he won at Road America, but he didn't win when Cam Bobier was still on the racetrack charging because uh, Cam had tipped off. So these guys have very good perspectives on where they sit, where they stand. It's going to be a long season. I think finishing and scoring a lot of points is going to be the key ingredient here. Matthew Skultz ends up winning the first day over Bobby Fong and Heron. Cam Peterson had an outstanding fourth. We'll get to him in a minute. minute. Uh, Kyle Wyman on the Panera Bread Ducati ends up fifth. Kyle was always like a little bit, like he was a step behind um, this last week. I think I think leading up to it, he didn't really get to do any testing uh, at all. Like he he was testing at his home track at Indy, just trying to make sure the bike ran. So it wasn't like he got a lot of testing jobs done. And uh, in discussing with him, there's some things that they're going to do moving forward. Hector Barber ends up sixth. Travis Wyman seventh. First of the Superstock uh, or Superbike Cup contenders. Uh, Daniela Lewis, Jeff May, and Michael Gilbert rounded out the top 10. A couple non-finishers obviously was Baz and Gagne. A couple of our Superbike Cup guys that didn't finish were Alexander, Andrew Lee. Bummer to see David Anthony out for the weekend. He breaks his thumb um, going down through turn four, Greg, but um, in practice. So he didn't get to ride all weekend. Um, that first race, though, 
Uh, Matthew Schultz did it. I thought he did a really nice job. First race that he wins in the dry wins over three seconds, just a little over three seconds over Bobby Fong, who had a big gap on Heron. It was impressive, but what really the telling sign was is that Skultz wasn't happy with the win in race one because in winner's circle, he was like, we have some things to work on. Yeah, And it obviously showed in race number two. You know, when when Gagne got out to the lead and put the pressure on Skultz, you know, from what I've heard uh, coming out of that camp is just kind of overcooked the rear tire on that one a little bit. And, I, you know, I think some of that had to do with the fact that Bobby Fong ends up getting a black flag for a jump start and continued to race on. And I don't think Skultz was able to see his pit board or, or understand, see the black flag because he was so focused in that group. And I think that he raced a little too hard with Bobby Fong and kind of, you know, cooked it up a little bit. And then when Bobby pulled in, it was a bit of a surprise, but that's just, that's more lesson learned, honestly. And, and, you know, in talking to the team, uh, one of the things that they told me was is that they put on the board Fong out, but they'd never had a conversation about it, Jason. They'd never had a yeah. conversation about how do you communicate that stuff. And so the team kind of takes it upon themselves and says, well, you know, part of it's our fault. So if you're going by and you're seeing something on your pit board that you've never seen before, I would imagine it's confusing. Well, you know, th- that said, Greg, I mean, being aware of your surroundings all the time, and this is legitimately no knock on Matthew. So I don't want to sound like I'm coming off as a knock, but when you're going by that starter stand every time, it's sitting right above the racetrack. And they've got a gigantic yellow sign out that says Fong 50. And, you know, it's – it's or it says, you know, bike 50 pit in or whatever it said. Uh, the black flag is a black flag with the number 50 on yeah, the board. Yeah, wave in with a 50, yeah. I mean, you, you, I mean you've got to be able to see that. You've got to understand it's it's having your head down is one thing, but I don't know how Matthew missed that because to your point in the post-race um, – interview when he was on podium he was like oh it was too bad to see bobby had a problem with his bike because he was fighting he still didn't even know even afterwards that bobby fong had been penalized Uh, that's a good point start right yes so so the thing is 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 that is that i don't know how you really miss that because all the way around the racetrack you're you know you see yellow flags or you see different flags around the track if there's a problem um i'm not really sure how matthew missed that because they had that that board out for what probably four laps and we were to the point where well hold on let me bobby's got to get in or not get in don't you think the possibility that and i don't know where his board was on pit lane because if it was kind of closer to the exit of the final corner as he's coming on to the straightaway he's looking over to the right and the and the question so maybe because you're not expecting you know all you're normally expecting to see there is cross flags and then your white flag and checkered. So, well, yeah, but I, I still think it's, it's just one of those things. No, I mean, I know, the board that they put oh, out is a gigantic yellow board. And I, again, it's Matthew didn't see it. It's not a big deal. No. It, it isn't a big deal. It just surprised me that he didn't see that. And I think that when you look at back at the race, he ends up 4.7 behind Gagne, but I think Gagne at the, you know, the last five, six laps, put that thing on a little bit of cruise, even though he was still in the 24s, he was doing high 24s, 24 nines, 24 eights, low 25s even at the end of the race but i think that was a comfortable pace for him i think if he had to drop the hammer uh and it really came down to it he could have um gagne was absolutely dominant in atlanta you wouldn't notice it by the results of him basically not finishing race one uh and when you look at a guy that's never won a hano superbike event it's it's you wouldn't say oh you know you would never know that gagne really kind of dominated the weekend he was at the top in all the practices qualifying he was obviously top guy he was quickest Saturday morning qualifying when nobody really improved their race times. Um, but but the thing is, is that is it Gagne 
looks to me, and I ran into him and Cam Peterson in the airport Monday morning. Gagne looks to me like, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm expecting to do this year. Like, I feel like I've got the team and the crew and the bike. And like you said, Greg, he's just moved to Durango. He told me the story. He gets out of San Diego, cashes in there, moves the family to Durango. His parents and everybody move um, back there with him. He seems really stoked right now with with everything. And um, that second race, Gagne ends up winning by 4.7 over Skultz and Heron, 15 seconds adrift from the win. Cam Peterson, again, finishes fourth. Bobby Fong, uh, a nice little salvage job in fifth after getting that stop and go. Wyman, Barbara, Travis Wyman, again, is the best of our Superbike Cuppers. Jake Lewis, Uribe, and Corey Alexander rounded out the top 10. You know, when you look at it, um, and we've talked about Gagne and Skoltz and Heron. For Cam Peterson, this was his first ride, Greg, on that M4 X-Star Suzuki. He has up 18 seconds back, doesn't really tell the whole story. He's battling a little bit of a foot injury that's prevented him from being able to train the way he wants. And he, he actually told me, he's like, yeah, I'm, I was actually a little bit embarrassed by my results at the end of the race. He's like, the beginning, I felt pretty good. From midway on, it was a little bit of a struggle for me because my body just wasn't really reacting the way I needed it to react. But I thought for Cam to get two fourth place finishes very quietly gets two fourth place finishes. I thought it was a good start to his campaign. Couldn't agree more. And I think I alluded to this before, but for those people maybe that didn't see the broadcast, the thing that struck me the most, not just about Cam Peterson, but really about the M4X star Suzuki pit that he occupies is the, he's so excited to be a superbike racer at this point. Mm-hmm. He brings yeah. such energy and enthusiasm that it spreads to his mechanics. It spreads to his crew chief. It spreads to uh, Rhett, his data guy. And they're all working together because he's like dragging everybody along with this enthusiasm. And, you know, I think it's like, they're like, Hey, like one of the things they were saying is, is I was watching in the middle of the session. I, I oftentimes get to sit on the wall and just be a fly on the wall. And they were like, Hey, uh, I think Rhett, his, his data guy was saying, what do you say if we try this? Like I have this prepared. Do you want to try it? And you know, Jay, normally if you're at your job, you go, all right, sounds good. Let me do a couple more laps. We'll try it. Or yeah, why don't you put it in? Cameron was like, Cam Peterson was like, yeah, man, that sounds great. Like, let's give that a try. Like, put it in. You want to do it now? And they're like, yeah, let's do it now. Yeah. And, I, and like the it's energy great. was so different. And not that anybody else's energy is is bad or anything, but it was like, I just, it made an impact on me. And I was like, this is awesome. But then I kept yeah. thinking to myself, jaded as I am, like, I wonder how long this is going to last, you know, halfway through the season. <laughs> you know what I mean? No doubt. No doubt. I mean, I, when you look at it, the thing is, is that, is that, that M4X Star Suzuki team, they're, I mean, they're just doing it on their own. They're just doing it on their experience. And, the, and they're putting really good machinery under their under their riders. And when you look at a Bobby Fong, very quietly, Bobby ends up second and fifth. And on paper, you go, well, that's really not that great. Well, the second place essentially came because of a horrendous start to his admission in the first race. He had to do a lot of work to get himself where he had to go. And when you have to go through Josh Heron to get to the front, you know, you're going to have a battle on your hands and a little bit of a workload. So they kind of went back and forth. Um, and in, in regards to the pace wise, it just kind of stalled Bobby's um, pace as far as getting forward quicker. And, and by the time he got up to where the leaders were, he ends up second place. So, you know, to Matthew Skoltz, which, um, you know, again, on paper, you'd sit there and go, ah, that's kind of where we'd figure Bobby to be on the podium. But I think he was a little better. Then he showed all weekend because in the second race, he did jump the start, um, unfortunately. And we saw that across a lot of our classes. There was some jump starts over the weekend. So Moto America was very consistent with their calls on that. We saw Corey Alexander jump start. Saw a couple guys in the Twins Cup, I think, get a jump start. So 
they were very consistent with their calls and Bobby did jump it. He did the right thing though. He pitted, um, came in, took his medicine, still gets out for fifth place. That fifth place could mean a lot at the end of the year, couldn't it? Yeah, it definitely could. I mean, we've seen championships won and lost by one, two points. And so that that will make a huge difference. And that's the lesson, like never give up, you know. Bobby did have the the third fastest lap of the race in race number two, working his way through traffic. He had the fastest lap of the race in race number one, you know, at a at a 24-7. Yeah. And that was when Gagne was out. So Gagne was able to do a 24-6-0 on race pace. And by the way, we didn't mention that that, you know, Gagne did he broke the the outright track record. You know, like total, and we. Well, I did mention. I did. Oh, you mention did. Sorry, that. sorry. Yeah, you know, I was way to listen. Thanks, I appreciate that. Huh? Yeah, I really appreciate you listening. Yeah, I'm going Thanks. through a tunnel. I think I can. Uh huh. Sure. Anyway, but the point is, good surprise for us because I think, yes. or I should say, me. All right, this is on me. I thought at the end of the season, with the performance that Bobier put on, I was like, boy, I don't know. Now, when in the I don't know was road Atlanta was August last year. And so we were in cooler temperatures, much better conditions. The weekend was like legitimately like perfect. I mean, far cry from that shit box of a Monday that we had in the six and a half hours. I had to ride home in the rain <laughs> on a motorcycle yes. and ruin. I don't want to talk. Serves about you it. right. Huh? <clears throat> Serves you right. Whatever. All right. Anyway, I don't even we, know what you're doing this we, shit for. What are you riding to the races for? Great. Well, you remember 2004 and you know, uh, no, Scootin just USA go, and, go on Moto America. Let's stay on point here. All right, yeah, we got a lot more to talk about. So let's yes. go ahead and just say Matthew Skultz is leading the championship. So yes. what's interesting is, you know, possibly some upset with, you know, oh, second place, like, you know, blah, blah, blah. But doesn't matter, man. What a weekend. You know, a win in a second place, and you have a 13-point lead in the championship already over Josh Heron, who's exactly where he needs to be. Exactly, And yes. salvage. Fong, you know, uh, Peterson, and obviously Gagne sitting back in fifth spot with that only scoring that uh, that that – in a points. way, in a way, it's pretty cool because unfortunately for Loris Bass, he scores no points. And who would have thought saw that coming in into this event that he's just going to go and score nothing? And if you'd have told me that the the leader of the championship was already going to have a thirteen point lead after round one, I would have laughed at you. But the <laughs> fact that there were some things like Bobby Fong getting in the jump start, um, Gagne not finishing race one. Baz not finishing either race. The championship obviously is still wide open. I had a little little bit of um, back and forth with Loris uh, through Instagram. And and he's like, you know, just now we just got to work harder. We just got to like, you know, he, he wasn't really that unhappy. He wasn't unhappy with, with how he performed or how the bike performed. He's had a little bit of bad luck as racers get. I mean, he tipped off in the first race. Second race, they had a linkage, I think, fail. Yeah, um, linkage broke. Yeah. So when you look at it, it's it's. 45 points right now, Loris has got to make up. Um, but there's a long season ahead. It's going to be a season where I think there will be some attrition. That's what makes the rides of like a Heron or a Cam Peterson. Those guys just kind of plotted along. They did their thing. They didn't make any big mistakes trying to go outside the box and and whatever. So, um, you know, we're going to be marching on to VIR this next, uh, well, a week, and, a little over a week away. And uh, I'm excited to see how that goes. In super sport, Greg, when we left off last season and we started to think about, all right, what's going to happen going into this year? Um, you know, when we went to Atlanta last year, like you said, it was a lot hotter. Um, and and when you looked at the two main title contenders, Sean Dillon Kelly and Richie Escalante last year basically dominated this class. It doesn't look like much is going to change in that regard in the sense that those two guys are always going to be at the front every weekend. I do feel that there's going to be some challengers coming. Uh, obviously, Rocco Landers is somebody that we've grown to know. Um, 
and he is going to bring the fight. He's going to learn every time he gets on the, on the track. And in race one, while we were down there, um, SDK takes his pole position and goes off and runs to a 2.6 second victory over Richie Escalante, who in Saturday morning qualifying went out and literally destroyed his motorcycle. Um, the team did everything they could to rebuild that bike for him to finish 2.6 seconds back. I thought was good, but SDK didn't fold under any pressure. The interesting part was we had a bit of an incident in turn one. Rocco Landers um, got into the back of Stefano Mesa and, and Stefano ended up going off the track. Rocco ended up tipping off. Unfortunately, Xavier Zayat, who was running third ran straight in, in the last corner. So there was, all this craziness going on, which opened up a big battle for third between Nolan Lampkin, uh, Max Angles, and Sam Lockoff, who is new to the class. Sam Lockoff coming up from Junior Cup. He ends up uh, finishing fifth in his debut on the M4X Star Suzuki. But Nolan Lampkin, I don't know, man. I, I mean, I know Nolan's one of my guys, and he's a good kid. Uh, but take all that aside, it was it was really good to see him up on the podium after, you know, I know what him and his dad have gone through the last three, four years getting him to the races. Uh, I, I just thought it was kind of fun seeing new people on the podium. 100%. And that's really what the class is about. You know, you, you had the possibility of SDK leading, leaving uh, on, on, you know, to Europe or possibly on a superbike. You had Richie Escalante offseason talk about his possibility going to a superbike. I actually like that they stayed in this class because what they're going to do is drag these other racers to be faster. They you need know, to. That's what you need, right? You need a measuring stick, don't you? You do need a measuring stick. And the, the key, I think, for the rest of the field is to look at those two guys and say, I can. I can close the gap. I can go that fast. Not to say, okay, the battle's for third. And that's where you bring a guy like Rocco Landers in, and I don't think Rocco cares. I mean, Rocco... Oh, yeah, Rocco doesn't care. No, Rocco he's... doesn't care. He just wants to go to the front. But, yeah. you know, if you look at Rocco Landers' pace um, and you look at, uh, you know, like the pace of a guy like Benjamin Smith, he surprised, I think, some people this weekend. Although Benjamin Smith in race one, Jay, ended up in sixth place, if you, if you look at his lap time, it's pretty good. You know yeah, but I mean? if you remember, he came from dead last because he was part of that whole little melee down in turn one. He took evasive action to to stay out of that problem um, between Rocco and Stefano. And that was just a race incident. That was really nothing. Um, you know, Rocco's going to get, he has to get used to racing against a whole another you know, new group of guys. And all those guys aren't going to want to give him an inch because, you know, they're like, hey, we realize you're the... No, and Jay, when's the last it, time Rocco started mid-pack or row three or two? Or... Well, he had a problem getting the bike off the line. And I talked right. to Stoney a little bit about that. And they've they've come to figure out what that was. And I don't think that we're going to see that out of Rocco again. I think that he's going to start getting better starts. Um, and and But, you know, Greg, we've seen this through the through time. Over all the years, we've seen it where, you know, Nicky Caden comes up from 600 Supersport and the guys in Superbike aren't going to put up with any crap and they're going to, try, you know, they're not purposely <laughs> trying to rough them up. It's just hard racing. And that's all that was. Yeah, they're trying and, to set the tone. And how many times, honestly, have we seen Rocco make any mistakes in three years? It's with the amount of laps he's done at the kid. It's amazing. He doesn't make mistakes. And, and it was it was well, a racing seen, incident. And it the, just happened. The stat that we had in Super, Super Sport Race 2, right? It was like he's had two DNFs in three years. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's it's. It's insane, especially to be that young. I mean, he's so especially far especially to of win himself. three championships. I mean, you have a guy who's out there trying to beat everybody's, you know, everybody's face into the ground, and you would expect Rocco to make more. And I think that the only other DNF we saw, I mean, that's really his first like mistake DNF. I think correct. The other correct. one was a bike was a bike issue. 
No. So, I mean, when you look at it, you know, and like Benjamin Smith would have been in that battle for third. I mean, he had pace all weekend. Ben's been riding really well. So the first race, obviously, I mentioned the top five. And you talked about Benjamin Smith in six. Thermiotis Nassani. It was great to see Jarrett back after his injury. Christian Miranda, um, he ends up uh, ninth. And Carl Soltis ends up tenth. And when you look at race two, Greg, you know, I think that a lot of us uh, figured, you know, Escalante is going to come back. He's going to. He's going to put the fight all the way to the end, and it just never really, never really happened. Five SDK and a half dominated, seconds. dominated, dude. SDK dominated the weekend. He rode so well, and uh, he ends up winning the second race by five point one seconds. Now, Greg, I'm going to just tackle something here, and you can back me on this a little bit. Uh, we, Greg, Greg, and I still haven't seen the pass that Rocco put on all these guys down into the into turn ten on the last lap, and I'm like everybody else, we wanted to see it, right? Yeah. Um, the big thing is, is that when you have races that get red flagged, it puts us behind in TV and blah, 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 blah. And the reason why we didn't get to see it is because you got to show the winner coming across the line. It just so happened that when that was happening, there was some excitement going down into turn 10 that we just didn't get. And we didn't even get the what's funny, Greg, is the first day Nolan Lampkin sends me a text. I mean, think about it. This is the kid's <laughs> first time he's ever been on the podium in a Motor America race. And he's like, Jay, did my breast stink or something? Why didn't I get to do a, an interview with TV? And it was just simply because of a, of the time allotment that we have. And, um, and I just, you know, Greg, I don't know about you, but my phone was blowing up like, Hey, we didn't get to see the pass because, you know, Greg and I have control over that. Um, and <laughs> we and are, so, we are the customer to yeah, play, we, customer we, complaint department. Yeah. Jay, we, we run everything. We run <laughs> tech, we run, you know, we run it all at motor America. Right. So, so we always seem to get the complaints, but the thing was, is that there was a very good reason of why we couldn't, why we didn't show it, why we didn't see it. Greg and I still haven't seen it ourselves. I'm sure we will, but um, but Rocco Landers comes out of a race long battle between four guys, and ma- basically Stefano Mesa, Xavier Zayat, actually Stefano Mesa and Ben Smith were going at it. Rocco Landers was there. Xavier Zayat ran these guys down. I mean, from nowhere. So Xavier Zayat comes back on the Mesa 37 racing R6, and he's on as teammate to Stefano Mesa, and he ends up fifth. So at the end, Landers ends up finishing third. Stefano Mesa fourth, Zayat, Benjamin Smith, Lockoff ends up seventh, Nate Minster, Thermiotis, and Carl Soltis round out your top 10. Um, and when you look at that race, though, really, there's only one guy you could talk about all weekend in 600, and that's Sean Dylan Kelly. Sean Dylan Kelly put on a show. And yep. the biggest thing I think for SDK is, is whatever happened in this offseason and whatever happened towards the end of last season, the mindset shift yes. that SDK has, he is just dialed i mean you know like we talk about the difference between old school racers and new school racers and putting your foot on their throat and you know having that attitude and sdk right now just has that killer instinct and working really well with his crew and crew chief and i I just i think that honestly jason it's not that sdk came out and won the first two races and now it's going to be the richie escalante show i think that really sdk has the potential has the crew has the equipment to be the runaway winner in this championship. So Escalante and his crew, I think have got to figure some things out. I just feel, I feel like when you're as young as SDK is, and we forget how young he is. I mean, he's, yeah, he's what 18 or yeah, he's a young he's guy. 19 and maybe 19. And when you watch him and you see what he does, I think that, that he looks at it like, um, I feel like he looks at it like, Hey, um, I'm a teenage guy. I need to go win the 600 championship so I can get the next stage of my career going. Um, and I don't know if he's looking out that far, but you got to think he kind of is. I think, you know, if you can get on a superbike at 19 years old 
and start that process now or get over to Moto2, wherever it is he wants to do, whatever it is he wants to do. I think he's looking at it like Escalante is the roadblock and I got to bust through that roadblock. Um, and, and, and on the flip side of it, Richie Escalante wants to get on a superbike as well. So these two guys have a lot to fight for this year. So I think we're in for some really good battles. Agreed. And the championship in Supersport SDK with a perfect 50 points. Escalante with two seconds has him 40. Then we have a 20-point gap already back to Benjamin Smith and Sam Lockoff, who are tied. So at early stages, you're looking yeah. at that two-rider show. I just think like you do, Jason, by midseason, we're going to see Rocco Landers mixing it up with these riders. And then I think he'll drag, you know, hopefully Benjamin Smith, Sam Lockoff, Nolan Lampkin, Xavier Zayat, Stefano Mesa. I just see there's somebody in that group that's going to go with Rocco to, to, to make it a four, five rider, you yeah. know, melee up at the front. Then the championship, I think, is going to get really interesting. Whoever's going to be able to get the most amount of points early on in the season before the rest of the field catches up could be the deciding factor on who walks away with the number. Yeah, one because, you know, the thing is, is if any of these guys step up, I'm looking for that step up from Benjamin Smith. I think he has the pace to kind of get there. Um, there's a couple of things I'd like to see from him a little different that, that I think, because I really do believe he's he's kind of, he's seen the pace and he knows what he can do. Um, but but there's, I think it's it, it, for Richie and SDK on any given weekend, it's going to be like, who can step up and maybe get between us? Because that could be the difference between those two guys. I mean, you kind of see those guys, you kind of see those guys winning every race this year, one of the two of them. Um, that's taking nothing away from the rest of them. But I think that you got a guy like Rocco who's going to get better and quicker as the year goes on. It's just going to be an interesting season. So 600 is going to be going to be crazy. Now, speaking of crazy, Greg, we got to watch a class where we have had no previous winners. Uh, and that's our junior cup class. And um, when you look at it, it was really wide open. Like we, we didn't really know. We, we kind of talked about Ben Glotti because Benjamin's been the guy that's kind of he went last year with Rocco and he went with Dominic and he went with Lockoff when those guys were racing Junior Cup. He was kind of the guy that could kind of maybe go with those guys. But all of a sudden, you know, we've got kind of a little group of guys. And Tyler Scott on the lone KTM comes out and wins the first race. And I know Jeff from Arias talked to you and, and touted Tyler yes. a lot, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, for years. And yep. so, and so, you know, and this is just, you know, I'm not as familiar with some of the younger guys as probably I should be. Some of them are in Florida. Some of them have already gone overseas. So I'm not, I don't know him as well, but Tyler Scott comes out, does a tremendous job, barely beats Benjamin Glotty. And we're sitting there going, man, is Ben ever going to get a win? Cause we've seen him in second and third before David Kolstat with the interview of the year uh, so far on the no podium. Doubt. Stoked to finish third. Didn't know what to say. Gus Rodeo, good to see him back from a broken femur last year at the Ridge. He ends up fourth in his first race of the season. And yes, he has gotten taller. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. I mean, Cody Wyman ends up fifth on uh, a Kawasaki that that he's put together. So he's jumped off the R3. Uh, Max Vanderbrook, Hayden Bickney's Jack Roach ends up eighth. Aiden Tao and Chase Black uh, round out your top 10. Um, I think in this first race, Greg, that thing that kind of thing that kind of showed me was the KTM looked like it got off the corner a little bit better than the Kawasaki when they were coming on to that back straightaway. But as they got into the top gears, um, the Cowie looked like it would just start to pull back in, but it wasn't enough. Tyler Scott showed really good racecraft to win that first race. Yeah. Ben Glotti ultimately had the fastest lap of the race. 
at a 41.5. So it's not like the KTM was like amazing, amazing. I think right. it definitely balanced out with the Cowie like you're talking about. But Tyler Scott had a lot of pressure on him and ends up winning that race by two tenths of a second. And Didn't they do that on the last lap too, I believe? Mm-hmm. I yeah. think they ran their fastest laps, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I think, yeah, Tyler came across, did fastest lap of the race at a 41.6, and then Glotty right behind him in tow did a 41.5. And it so that race was great for us. It definitely showed that Glotty, you know, the fourth place finish last year, and we're saying that he should be the championship favorite. Definitely he's fulfilling that role, but now you've got to add in a couple other riders to the mix too. It's not like Glotty's going to show up and Rocco Landers the class. He's got some competition behind him because in race number two, Glotty wins over Tyler Scott by a tenth of a second. And then Cody Wyman in third with Maxwell Toth, who of course crashed early on. He's another bright young talent that we just happy to see max get a finish you know Mm -hmm. yeah and colstead gus rodeo blake davis another non-finisher from the first race in seventh you know max fan in eighth and and on down the field so good racing in in the uh stg i don't know if i can get away with that but it's a sport bike (laughs) track here you know everybody else does and it's even on the list because the name's so long but sport bike track here.com junior cup it's good to see um that we have good racing and we'd also alluded to the fact that there are 16 entries in the class this weekend, but we expect the class to grow as more 13-year-olds turn 14 during the course of the season and will be entered in. And some of these riders we have coming into the field uh, promise to be very fast and, and, and full of talent. So the acclimation might be difficult. Jay, you could probably speak to it a little bit better. You know, if you if you enter a class mid-season against people that have been on these bikes, on these tracks, on these tires with the competition, it might be, uh, you know, a, a, a hill to climb. I don't know. Yeah. Well, no, I think that you hit the nail on the head. I think for a lot of these guys, it's going to be, um, you know, first time out, we've seen quite a few of these kids. And and I know that there's at least three kids that are waiting to just come of age before they get to join us at, at the Moto America rounds. And they're going to be fast kids also that are going to throw their name in that hat. Um, I think it's going to be really fun watching Junior Cup this year. I can hardly wait to get to VIR and see what that place holds for us in this class. You know, the top six guys, I think we're only covered by 4.4 seconds in Atlanta. Um, and, you know, at every track that we go to with these guys, uh, the draft plays such a huge integral part. And it'll be interesting to see who kind of steps up. Um, moving forward, Greg, probably the class that uh, that is the most intriguing this year, I think. Uh, when you look at the Stock 1000 class and you think about where this class was just four years ago, Greg. I was thinking about this a couple of days ago. Four years ago, we basically had seven rider grids and we had two guys that were dominating the championship in Andrew Lee and Travis Wyman. And both those guys would probably readily admit that there wasn't a lot of guys to race against back when they were doing it uh, four years ago when Stock 1000 kind of became a thing. Um, we had some guys generally every weekend, whoever finished third uh, was a local from that area. And now you look at Stock 1000, it is the busiest class that we have on a weekend. A lot of these guys are running the Superbike Cup as well. So they have a chance to at least double dip and earn a little bit of cash in the Superbike Cup series as well, like we saw Cam Peterson do last year. Um, but there's so much diversity in this class when you start thinking about the brands. We've got Kawasaki, we've got Honda, we've got BMW, we've got Suzuki, all vying to try to win the Stock 1000 class. And the guy that comes out on top on the first day, Michael Gilbert. Who? Yeah, exactly. Um, it's funny because, you know, like when he helps me at the schools, I'm always talking about Corey's two championships and Andrew Lee and this, and I'm like, Oh, we got Michael Gilbert too. Well, Michael, Michael, uh, finally gets that little monkey off his back. He's had some bad luck in Atlanta. Um, wouldn't say it's one of his favorites, but he ends up winning over 
Ashton Yates. I mean, I think Ashton's going to be there for the long haul this year too. He's a tremendously talented rider. We saw him go through it last year uh, on a very uncompetitive bike, but the Honda Greg impressed me a lot on the weekend. Uh, Travis Wyman ends up rounding out the podium. So we had three brands in the top three, four brands in the top four. If you look at Jake Lewis ending up fourth, only one and a half seconds back. Danila Lewis, Corey Alexander, Jeff May, who was an early leader in the race. He ends up seventh. Andrew Lee, eighth. Hunter Dunham ends up ninth. Um, you know, I it's funny, Greg, because I know normally when we're off the air, you kind of stop watching, but you watch this one. I did. Yeah. Because it's a 30-rider class, and it's a very enter- it was an entertaining race. Was mm-hmm. this the one where Jake Lewis ran off when he was in second place, or was that the mm-hmm. second race? That was the second race, yeah. Okay. That was because yeah, not not that I expected more from Jake, I guess, because he's just kind of getting his you know getting his road race feet back underneath him. But I thought one point five seconds behind Gilbert was great. Oh yeah, for but, sure. But looking yeah. at it, you know, the fastest lap of the race for for sure. I mean, you know, congratulations to Gilbert. But I think if you really looked at that race, the eyes have to focus on Travis Wyman. 100%. You know, yep. he just looked fast. I mean, he had the fastest lap of the race by six tenths of a second faster than Ashton Yates, uh, who had the second fastest lap of the race at a 27.5. Gilbert did a 27.54. Gilbert did the right thing, man. He had to pass for it. He raced for it. He managed the lead. He did the laps that he needed to do. And he was able to win it by eight tenths of a second, which the race seemed, it felt a lot closer. So it's really good, good, entertaining racing. And it's another opportunity for, for us to see who could be the next step you know we look at super sport and we go okay they can jump into super bike but then we also look at stock thousand and say well you're a lot closer so who's the talent next are where are these teams going to look are they going to look to super sport are they going to look to stock thousand you know and you know it was really great to see jeff may's performance coming out there and um you know on a honda that they think they literally like you know took the bubble wrap off like a couple days before and the Honda's fast, man. The yeah. Honda is the Honda is definitely fast. And I, I agree with you. I think that Yates is going to be there for the championship. Gilbert's definitely going to be in the mix because Gilbert is going to just stay around and score these podiums and get I on just there. feel like all these guys will do that though. Like I think that Yates will be there. Travis is, I think, um, like when you look at Travis now, uh, he is I think all these guys with more years they have under their belts in the series, they've kind of Hey, this is how you're going to win a championship. And and when I went to bed on Saturday, basically during this race, the first race, I was like, if Travis gets to the front, it's going to be hard to beat him. And that really proved true the second day. He was able to get a better start. He was able to kind of get himself through people. He pulled Jake Lewis along, and they kind of disappeared. And then Jake made a small mistake and turned seventh, counter false neutral. And at that stage, I mean, it, Travis just kind of ran his own pace, ran his own race. He was able to get down to 27-0 in the second race. I think on the weekend, Greg, in Superbike, and I'll have to look back. I think he did like he ended up getting down like a 26-4 or 26-5 in the Superbike Cup races. Who? Um, so Travis was really like the guy this weekend. And I think in the first race, there was just so much battling that Michael got to the front when he needed to and just put his head down and hit his marks and did everything he could. And Travis was having to deal with Jake Lewis. He was having to deal with Ashton Yates. So it was kind of one of those things where they'd he get he would get by him and then Ashton would stuff him back somewhere, you know, and made it hard for Travis to go forward. And I think when Travis probably went to bed on Saturday night, he thought to himself, okay, I got to get a good start. I got to get to the front and then I got to get to the back markers first. And, you know, he, he did such a tremendous job 
just doing that. And I thought the BMW looked really good too. And so, you know, Travis did a, did a, a nice job on the weekend uh, to do what he did. Travis ends up winning the second race over Jeff May, Ashton Yates, double podium for Ashton Yates this weekend. So that was tremendous. Jake Lewis ends up 6.8 seconds back, but he had at least a six second mistake there, Greg, five second mistake. Um, but he ends up finishing fourth, um, quietly kind of two fourth place finishes for Jake Lewis. They'll be, he'll be tough at some of these tracks we got coming up. Daniela Lewis, Michael Gilbert, um, had a small mechanical on the last lap of the race. He was running third, ends up dropping to six, but at least he finished. Andrew Lee, guy we haven't talked about at all. Um, he's just come back, new team, new bike, hadn't seen it, hadn't ridden it. He ends up seventh. Jason Waters, Giannato, and Wyatt Ferris. Good to see Wyatt back. He ends up 10th. Um, there's just a lot of different things, a lot of moving parts in this class that I think are going to make it really fun for us to watch all year long. Travis Wyman leads the championship by only five points over Ashton Yates and Gilbert back there, one point behind. So only six points. I know it's early in the season, but you definitely want to keep an eye on it because you know the one thing you look at, if you just looked at, at the championship point standings versus Super Sport and Junior Cup and um, Superbike is the absence of a DNF from one of the front runners. Yeah. You know, and that that's really one of the things you look at. You know, I was going to ask you earlier about, you know, Superbike and to say, look, you know, you have Jake Gagne and Loris Baz, part of the six championship contenders you would throw in there, five with Peterson in there. Yep. You know what I mean? You could even, you know, throw Kyle Wyman in there as a podium finisher last year that he could. But if you look at those top five uh, riders that we looked at earlier on in the season or six with Cam Peterson, two of them already have DNFs in Superbike. So you yep. look at the stock thousand class and it's like, Hey, even Corey Alexander, who, who finished, uh, wow. Where was Corey in race number two, all the way back in 13th, he at least scored some points. Well, he had a ride through penalty and then he sped on pit lane. So for oh, Corey, right. it was just a brutal, it's like a brutal weekend for him. He ends up destroying one of his bikes Sunday morning, like destroying. So he's on a backup bike for the race and he jumped the start. So, but he got points. I mean, the main thing was the poor guy had to go through pits twice. Um, and he ended up getting some points. And, you know, there there were some guys this weekend, Greg, that struggled because they just hadn't seen their equipment. They hadn't ridden it. They hadn't done anything on them. And um, and Corey kind of, uh, even in the first race, I think he expected more. Um, he, he did the double there last year. So, you know, but again, when you look at this class, Greg, honestly, don't you think that this is the class where you will see the most winners in the course of the year over any of the other classes? Hmm. I would I mean, say I, think, I would say yes, but I think you know the other class that that's going to come close to it is probably Twins Cup. Yeah, Twins Cup or even Junior. But I mean, when you when you think about it, it's just like there's just so many guys, and it depends in, on in what Jeff thousand. May does too, right? Because you got Jeff May, you got Ashton Yates who hasn't won yet, Corey Alexander who hasn't won yet, right? <laughs> so I mean, Jake Lewis hasn't Jake won Lewis, yet. Yeah. So Andrew all Lee, those guys, Andrew Lee, can Andrew show up. Lee hasn't yeah. won. I mean, so you look at it like right off the bat, we got two different winners on the first weekend. And, and there's a potential of, uh, you know, you got to think this is going to be a potential of more to your point, twins cup first race of the season for these guys. I think the big talk on the town was the new Aprilia 660 was coming to try to, you know, take over this class. And I'll tell you on the first day, it really did look like that could be the case. Uh, Caleb DeCarroll goes on and wins over Jody Barry, a name we haven't heard of or heard from in a while. Good to see Jody end up second Hayden Schultz, Trevor Standish ends up fourth. He's the one that breaks up that party in the top five. He ends up fourth on the Suzuki. The first three are on Aprilius. Toby Kamsuk ends up fifth. Parrish, Hart, Snooks, Knowles, Liam McDonald, 
round out the top 10. Overall, Greg, I mean, when you looked at it, what was going on, Caleb DeCrail would be the odds on favorite to win this championship because he's won a bunch of races in this class before, but he jumps on with a new team and a new bike. Looked good. That's right up until race two. Race two comes and we end up having a huge incident down in turn one when it looks like uh, obviously Caleb um, had some sort of mechanical failure. Uh, we saw water and stuff puking out the left side of his bike. It in turn high sides him. How Teague Hobbs missed that is insane how he missed that. But Teague Hobbs ends up going on to win the race, but he misses he, he misses that big accident, which was good. But in that accident, not only did Caleb go down, but Jody Berry goes down in that accident. Hayden Schultz goes down in that accident. And unfortunately, Toby Kamsuk as well. So the whole Robo Engineering team crashes in turn one, um, which was which was really a shame. Now, that opened up the door for a Suzuki sweep of the podium in the second race. Teague Hobbs, really nice to see him. Again, Greg, new people on the podium, new people winning races. Teague Hobbs gets his first one. Trevor Standish ends up second. One for the old guard, Chris Parrish. He ends up third, former champion in this class. Great he ends to up see third. Him up there. Chris Bays, Corey Hart, Snooks, Mc, uh, McDonald ends up seventh in this one. Cook Knowles and Robert Bettencourt round out your top 10. I agree with you. This is going to be a class that we're going to see. Um, we could see like three or four, you know, possibly five different winners. Um, I think that once these kids like Teague Hobbs and Trevor Standish get that taste um, of being up on the podium, they're going to want to be there a lot more. And they're not just going to hand it over to these Aprilia boys. No, definitely not. So fun class, looking forward to watching it. And just to put a postscript on Mission of the Baggers happened as well. We had that one race, great race between Tyler O'Hara, Kyle Wyman with Frankie Garcia in third, Hayden Gillum in fourth. That was a, a small attended class, but nonetheless, very entertaining up front between O'Hara and Wyman. The battle of American Iron, Indian versus Harley Davidson. Uh, we know Harley Davidson's getting to work on some things. They're so jazzed about racing, Indian as well. So they're going to put some resources into it. The next time we see that class will be Road America. Yep. Right? Yeah, yep. Road, America. Uh, Road America. Yeah, those things are going to be thundering down those big straightaways. It'll be interesting to watch that. Next week, we're going to talk more about uh, VIR and what's coming up with Moto America. So now we got to transition off of that, Jason. I think, and let's, because we're already so deep into this podcast. Not like, you know, we have a time limit, but, you know, in terms of like just keeping our, keeping people entertained, we don't want to drag this out too long. So MotoGP Jerez, if you can remember all the way back to that race, Jason, is they have a race coming up this weekend. Do you remember any of the results from Jerez and what yeah. that race was like? Because a fan favorite ended up taking the win. It was Jack Miller on the Ducati Lenovo team with a 1.9 second victory over Peko Bagnaya. So team sweep for Ducati 1-2. And then Franco Morbidelli on that now famously aging Yamaha that he has, the A-spec bike that hasn't changed apparently in years, uh, in third. Taka Nakagami in fourth. Juan Mir, your world champion, in fifth. Alicia Spargro on the Aprilia in sixth. Maverick Vinales, who in seventh. Johan Zarco in eighth. Mark Marquez in ninth. Paul Spargro, 10. Oliveira, Brottle, Quattararo, Petrucci, and Iker Likawona, uh, your top 15 in point scores. Non-point scores are going to be Luca Marini, Valentino Rossi. Tito Rabat was filling in uh, for uh, an injured... Um, what's his name? Uh, Jorge Martin. Yeah, sorry, Jorge Martin. It's funny how we just go blank, isn't it? I know, right? Like, uh, Salvadori Rins. Your non-finishers were Bender and um, Bassinini and Alex Marquez didn't make it a lap. So, um, what a race. I mean, dude, when you look at it and you think about this race and 
you know, the ups and downs that Ducati had with Jack Miller. Okay. Not Bagnaya. Bagnaya's done, had a, had a really good season, obviously so far leading the championship, doing great, but there's just a lot of storylines in this, in MotoGP. It looked like Jack Miller was kind of like struggling on the way out. Like already we've heard talks. I mean, I thought that he underperformed those first three rounds a lot. I think that they would say he would say the same. I mean, a couple, you know, he's had accidents and, and obviously controversy in race two with, with Mir at, uh, at Doha, a lot of like, like a little bit of a black cloud. Jack just comes out and does a really good job at a track that Ducati hasn't done the best at over the years. They end up one, two, what a great weekend for that team. I mean, especially when you think about the Pramac team of Zarco and Jorge Martin had kind of taken the spotlight from the Ducati side of things um, uh, with Bagnaya being really the, the guy on the factory bike, but Miller comes shining through, but, but Greg, you know, when you look down the list and you look at what's going on, there's some incredible rides here, like really incredible rides. I mean, we keep on hearing about this Honda, how bad it is, how shit it is, how this and that. Marquez is a little bit slow in his return. That's probably a little bit of health, a little bit of cautiousness, trying to get some feel. Takanakagami ends up only 3.2 seconds off of a win here. 0.7 behind Morbidelli on that, like you say, aging Yamaha. And now it's starting to get that. We're starting to hear all those mutters, aren't we, about <laughs> Why isn't Morbidelli on Valley's bike? And mm-hmm. you you hate to see the hate that's going kind of Rossi's way in some of the channels. That's the world we live in now. People are expecting more and Rossi's tainting his reputation. Give the bike to a younger guy. You know, but Morbidelli just keeps, you know, this, he just keeps kind of plugging along um, and plugging along. Juan Mir, 4.2 back on the Suzuki. Just somehow figures out a way to finish top five every round. There are so many storylines. Aspargro. Great start to the season, seventh overall in the point standings right now, sixth in this race. Is it going to be helpful if Dobie comes on board? Is it going to be a distraction if Dobie ends up coming on board? Who knows? But obviously the Aprilia has gotten better. Aprilia is definitely better. But I let mean, me ask you this. Yeah. Biggest storyline of the day, Jack Miller winning or Fabio Quattararo, who dominated this race until about, what, halfway in and gets arm pump. We don't know he has arm pump. And literally a boat anchor came out and I oh. totally get it. I've had arm pump once, you know, in a race and I understand how difficult Picking up a cheeseburger. Is. I'm sorry. I, I meant to say that inside, huh? inside voice. I said, picking up a cheeseburger, but I meant to say that. No, I, I, I trust me. I heard what you said, asshole. Oh, gotcha. I gotcha. I apologize. No, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm just trying to determine how bad of a joke that was. You know what I mean? Cause it's not funny. It's not funny. It's, it's hurtful. There's, oh, there's, I apologize. G dub. I'm um, a bad person. But Quadraro, nonetheless, we don't yes. really know what's going on. I think what the next day or the day after he posts up like, hey, he had surgery, feeling he good. He is like Monday, huh? Like Monday. <laughs> yeah. It was like, and you know, so you know it was a big problem. You know, it was a and then Yeah, it didn't just creep up on Sunday. There, you but, know, but it, but what's weird, right? Is is what's strange to me about situations like this. Okay, so I've had arm pump in the past. Arm pump happened to me a lot when my bike didn't quite work the way I wanted it to work. Like, like arm pump would have never been a bike. For me, when I would get arm pump, it wasn't because my bike was so good that I was out in front of a MotoGP race like like Quattararo was, you know? Like Okay, yeah, and my arm, my arm pump. pump came in, Jay, because I literally set my lever, brake lever, more motocross style than normally. So when I up? Yeah, when I sit up, yeah. all right, when I'm, I'm sitting up like I'm braking, I want basically my forearm and my hand to be completely flat with the lever, not up. Or even a little down a little bit. For even a little fingers. bit down, yeah. yeah. Because yeah, if, you, if, you. It's, uh, if it's up motocross style, you're actually pulling back and down, and that caused arm pump. So that was yes. a mechanical error by me. You're talking, about a, you're talking about a motorcycle that's difficult to ride or not completely comfortable and having to 
work in, in a way that's causing you arm pump. Correct. You look at a guy like Quateraro who looks like he's on a bike that's working well, is able to maintain the speed he's able to. So back it down a little bit so you don't get arm pump. Yep. And then that happens. So strange. And what's weird is he won two races here last year going away. And he's already won a couple races this year. And then all of a sudden at this one track, boom, arm pump. Now, he could have had arm pump at Portugal and we just didn't know it. And it was like something that was coming on late That's in the race. That's what I'm saying. It, it sounds um, awfully weird to me that he gets arm pump on Sunday and then Monday he's got surgery. Like it sounds like... Like it is booked, signed, sealed, delivered. You know how frustrating that had to have been for him to... Because arm pump is the worst thing. Greg, even when you and I did our little thing at Chuckwalla a month and a half ago, I had arm pump bad. And I was like... And again, it's the bike I was on. We have not sorted it at all. So... I had, I had arm pump and I was, but that said, I knew we had a problem and we actually fixed it a little bit for Sunday and my arm pump did get a little bit better, but, um, yeah, but once you get arm pump in a weekend, you can't, you can't get rid of it. It's hard to, it really is. But I say that Greg, and you can get rid of it because over the years when I had it, um, you know, I had a great guy, Carl Stryer was just so good at understanding what I needed from motorcycle and, when I get arm pump, he'd be like, okay, hold on. I know a direction to go. And generally it would get better for me. But, to yeah, be but what a- I'm saying is if you get arm pump on Friday, it's not mm-hmm. like you can wake up Saturday morning and have, a, and, and not feel the effects. I mean, it's, it's, it affects you for, for the weekend it, it, total. It, it can, but I like, that's what I'm saying though, because there were times where it would just get better for me over the course of the weekend. And I didn't, and I wouldn't, oh, okay, I, gotcha. I wouldn't worry about it. You know, have you, you know, I, I know that you and I both have ridden a little motocross and it always seems like whenever you go out for those first three or four laps, you kind of get arm pump. Oh, uh, the first laps. 100%. And, then, and, then, and then I can sit, I can sit down for 10 minutes. I can go back out and the arm pump gets better. Oh, okay. um, and yeah, so, yeah. so the thing is though, is that, is that when this started happening, I thought, I thought it was a front tire issue because it definitely looked like he wasn't going into the corners as hard. Well, he wasn't going into the corners as hard because he couldn't pull the front brake lever on. And that's essentially what arm pump does to you. Um, well, hold you, on a second. Let, let's back. Yeah, let's let's back up. So arm pump is created by, I think it's called a bursa sac, like that's in your forearm. It The blood pulls up there and causes like the, your inability for your muscles to work properly, which Jason, if your muscles aren't working properly, do what on the motorcycle? Well, the fascia basically... Is, isn't elastic like uh, and so basically it it constricts and that's what these guys go in and they have they i think they kind of go in and get that thing cut so that they can make it to where they can do it and then arm pump just it, what it does is it just in, it enables your ability to roll off the throttle onto the brake lever and back on the throttle again all those movements that your forearm controls um it it it, it basically pumps your arm up and you have and, no feel and it restricts no strength. and you end up yeah. losing feel in your fingers and your hands. I mean, Greg, I literally was going into turn one at Chukwala and letting go of the throttle altogether. So I would just let it go. I'd flat palm it, then pull the lever on. And, it, and you know, you obviously drop two seconds a lap. I mean, it just becomes a very, very, very difficult task to, to finish. So for Quattro finishing 13th, he probably could hardly wait to get out of the track that day to go get this, oh, this procedure done. Because next round, this next weekend coming up is his home round in France. And I think that, you know, the good thing about the recovery on this is it is a pretty quick recovery. So he's going to be ready to go. Uh, It's not going to have affected his cardio or any of that stuff. He's still going to be able to train every day and do all that. Um, Obviously, he's going to have to take it easy on the arm for the first week or whatever. But they've had he's had some time now and he'll be fine. Um, Zarco finishing eighth was a bit of a surprise, albeit 7.1 seconds back. 
what what I mean, what is, what's your feeling right now on on Marquez, Mark Marquez? I mean, dude, he just keeps crashing. He keeps putting himself in 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 harm's way. Well, him and Paul Spargo both had really big accidents in the exact same spot. These guys only ended up. Uh, what, what, how far apart were they, Greg, at the end of this race? 1.3 seconds. I think Marquez was just up the road. Aspargo saw him the whole race. Um, yeah, they finished man, the crashes that these two guys had in a corner that inevitably we don't normally see a ton of crashes at. I believe it, they, it was turn six at Jerez, the fast left after the tight right off the back straightaway. Um, it seems like they're having some, some big issues with front tire on the Honda. Um, you know, Taka ends up being up the road ahead of him. I feel like for me, Marquez is kind of going, okay, I just need to stay consistent. I need to continue to get points while I continue to get healthy and continue to kind of get my feet back underneath me. We know for a lap or two, Marquez is still going to be very fast, but man, he goes back to Jerez. The last thing he wanted to do is have that accident that he had. Cause that could have been, that could have been another big one, big, bad one. Yeah. I don't know how this isn't wearing on his head a little bit, you mm-hmm. know, but then he posts up on social media. He's on the bicycle. He's smiling and all that kind of stuff. And and I'm like, okay. Now, obviously, the crash didn't affect him that much in terms of like beating him up. He's on his, I think it was a mountain bike or whatever. And I don't know, dude. I mean, it's it's a tough one. You know, you so got to you got to kind of question yourself. How much money does this guy have in the bank? How much? You know, I he's probably set for life at this point of his career. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. like no yeah. question about it. How much motivation and how much more do you put yourself through? Because at some point. He's got to look at his future and say, are these injuries, injuries, I'm going to be feeling it. And maybe I'm saying that, Jay, because we're there. You know, we're there where your injuries that you sustained in your 20s are going to come back and and start to haunt you. So maybe it's that perspective. But, you know, and I I don't think the the skill level and and the the speed of Marquez's brain, I don't think any of those things have diminished. No, certainly not his competitive spirit. But the spirit of getting out of bed each day and getting to the grind and doing all this because Mark Marquez hasn't been racing just MotoGP. He's been and racing the level, his entire The level life. has, no matter what anybody says, the level has gone forward. The level has well, moved yeah, I mean, forward. We know that because people are breaking track records. And, and, you know, like, but it's yeah. not just that. The majority, like it's yes. not just one or two guys. There's like right. seven guys, right? Everybody's right. going quicker. So yep. um, the, the work is definitely uphill a lot more. I think it's going to give him a tremendous amount of confidence knowing that, that you know, Taka only ends up 3.2 off the victory here. But that's a but that's a 2020 frame, and that's the whole Correct. thing. It's totally you know, now the so, conversation about Honda is, oh, the 2020. This is the same crap that was going on last year when Taka was doing well. They're yeah. like, well, he's on the 19 frame, the 20 frame is struggling, and yet the only person who can ride it is Mark Marquez. Oh, he was out, and and then now the conversation is switched over to that same thing. Well, the 2020 is better than the 21, and you're yeah. like, eh, I find it hard to believe that Honda is literally sliding backwards from the 19. The 20 was worse, and now the 21 is even worse than the 20. It, but yeah. I don't know. It's, 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 you know, it's look. people need clicks. There's no doubt about it. No question. Absolutely. And I think that there's so much more that's going to be going on and said, and we're coming up to what round five. Now we're going to have round five this next weekend. It Lama. It's going to be a crazy race. Um, I believe Your favorite racetrack. <laughs> yeah. One of actually Lama is not too bad. It's, yeah, you're it's, okay with it's, Lama. it's okay. Lama's okay. And again, it, it always rains at Lama. I haven't looked at the weather yet this weekend, but it always seems to rain there. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's going to be a crazy race. There's a lot of storylines. We could go on for a, a week about MotoGP. The good thing is, is that this next weekend we've got MotoGP and not a lot else. So I think that we can, we can really crush it. We can really crush it, crush it next weekend, next week. Yeah. Uh, and talk about I'm, la- I'm la- sorry. I'm laughing because you just prompted me to pull the weather up. 
So oh, for Lamar, yeah, yeah. What is yeah. it? Uh, rain Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. It always rains there. Like no matter what, no matter if 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 I left here to fly back there, and I've done Lamar twenty four hour probably eight times. I knew it was going to rain. It was always. All right, listen. Rain, so. If it's dry, Quadraro yeah. wins. If it's wet, Pecco wins. Boom. Well, don't forget, Petrucci goes pretty good in the rain. I think he won there on the Ducati, and KTM's got some pretty big problems. And I think that if it rains, that might be a, the the best thing for KTM right now when you think about things. Could be. Um, again, it's going to be another one of those races, though, where I think that you're going to have a lot of guys at the front, even if it's wet. Lamaze not the greatest racetrack in the rain. It's not the most fun place in the rain. There's some places around that circuit that can catch you out. So could be a shakeup in the championship. You've got to finish. So it'll be interesting to see. And we'll talk more about that, I think, next week, Greg, because there are a lot of storylines of MotoGP, but we could spend a whole podcast on that. When no, we we'll move... talk about Lamar next weekend when we have yeah, a chance. Yeah, when we talk about moving forward here in Moto2, we had a first-time winner, and I think it's come a little bit longer than a lot of people thought. But Fabio Di Giantonio finally does a tremendous job on that Grassini bike. He ends up uh, winning over Marco Bazzecchi. He ends up 1.7 back. Sam Lowe's and Remy Gardner, the two guys that have been locking horns for the championship. Sam ends up pipe just just pipping uh, Gardner a little bit there. He ends up winning, uh, winning. He ends up finishing third over Gardner. Raul Fernandez ends up fifth. Uh, Chevy Fierje, Agura, Joe Roberts ends up eighth, uh, albeit 12.5 seconds back. Canet ends up ninth. Schroeder, Ramirez, Navarro, Monzi, Baldassari finally gets some points. What happened to Lorenzo Baldassari? Mm, and Bo Bensteiner ends up 15th. Unfortunately for us, uh, Cam ends up crashing out on the last lap. Cambobia with one lap to go and about four corners to go. He ends up tipping off, losing the front uh, while he was just, I think he was battling for 10th. He so was. He was he just was getting ready to pass. He right just there passed that, for 11th and right there for 10th over Schroeder. Right there for 10th. And it, it's it's too bad. Uh, but, you know, these are the, these are the unfortunately, the growing pains that you have. There's so many things that Cam's got to get used to. Not making any excuses for the guy. It's just it's. There are a lot of things that he's got to get used to that are just so different than what he's been riding. But I think when you look back at it, Greg, Moto2 is really shaping up to be kind of a fun season. Um, Fabio Di Giantonio really dominated this race from the front. I don't know if you got a chance to watch it. I did. Um, it was fairly uh, processional, this race. Um, there, there wasn't a lot of – wasn't wasn't the greatest race ever to watch, to be honest with you. It really wasn't even as close as 1.7 seconds because Di Giantonio just dominated it. Yep, 100%. But and there's really not that much to say because I don't think this is representation of what the series is going to be like moving forward. There'll be a couple of races where it gets processional, but I just think that Sam Lowe's and Remy Garner are really going to duke it out. But you're going to throw in DG Antonio. He really could all of a sudden, Jay, light it up now, like with the taste of yes. winning and, and have that, you know, over the hump thing. So he all of a sudden could be a factor in this championship with Bedzecki. You know, uh, Joe Roberts. I, you know, I, there's something missing with Joe and the team, and I think they're going to get it sorted out in the next couple of weeks. And so I expect to see Joe more consistent up front. And as soon as Cameron Bobier and his team figure out how to how to manage the front end for Cam a little bit better, give him a little bit more feel, which isn't impossible. By the way, rules came down uh, today from uh, the FIM talking about Moto2 specifically with the MV Augusta and the NTS uh, brands that race in the class. They're actually going to allow them some changes uh, that weren't really allowed because if you think about it, the frames and and the bodywork and all that stuff have been haven't unchanged since 2019 because mm-hmm. of the rules. So now they're allowing for some bodywork and front fender changes. Which you know what, Jay? If they're specifically talking about front fenders for NTS and MV Augusta chassis, that tells you there is something there 
that that really makes a difference in front fenders. Yeah. I believe MV Augusta. Don't don't quote me. It's one of the two because I read it earlier. Either MV Augusta or NTS are also going to be allowed a swing arm change. Got and it. there's also a change for non-contracted riders. They're now opening up development for non-contracted riders in the Moto2 class where they've not, you know been told before that they aren't allowed to do that. So expect to see some more development in the Moto2 class in the next season and a half where it's been frozen since COVID started. Yeah, trying to get that, just trying to get the class, you know, get it closer, get it to where it's not dominated by one. I mean, yeah, um, yeah, no, it's and, good. And, it's and good. the reason those manufacturers are in Moto2, the chassis developers are exactly for development. You know, they're not there just to, to not develop stuff. So they're constantly wanting to move ahead. And if you think about it, you know, that that Triumph chassis, I think it really only had one season, right? And then yeah. they froze everything. So there's a lot to Moto2 right now and, and what's going on there. Um, it should should be good. We'll, we'll obviously keep an eye on it. Moving, yes. to, moving to Moto3, Jason. Yes, I mean, do it. Same stuff as it always is. Exciting race. Uh, but... The the <laughs> did you see this race? I did. Insane. Yeah. Dude, just I crazy. mean Pedro Acosta is such a stud. It's unbelievable. Yeah, really. Fanati back in action. Alcoba in third. Mino in fourth. Sasaki in fifth. Tate, uh, listen, on, on back through the field. You know, the, Oh, the, you gave up on a name. I love it. Dupasquier? Yeah, come on, man. Antonelli Artigas. <laughs> whatever. It doesn't matter. Look, here's the thing. Yes. This there's race, one guy right now that's just like Depressing everybody else. Four podiums in his rookie debut. Never been done before in the history of the sport by anyone, Acosta. But this particular race, dude, with what? A lap and a half to go or two laps, a mistake is made. Yes. And there is a gap back to Acosta. And La- going, he, going into the last lap. You're Going into right. the last lap. Yes. And how in the hell that that kid ended up, and I mean kid, he's 16 years old. Yep. How that kid ended up getting to the front and then holding everyone off and winning by an astonishing Four tenths of a second. Yeah. I mean, I I rarely watch a race and have my jaw open on the last lap. Normally, I'm like, ooh, ah, oh, ah, ah. But uh, what Acosta did, he finds places on the racetrack where there seems to be no real estate. And he has got, beyond the the normal stuff, Jason, of, oh, he can go fast. And he, but his feel for where he needs to put the bike and the limit of the front tire on such a tiny bike is massively impressive insane, yeah no and, and i can't overemphasize like how good this kid is it's it's really incredible and when you see all the moto gp guys talking about him and just what the job he's doing i mean those guys all know and i've said this over and over this is the hardest championship to win i think all season long in any class anywhere in the world motorcycle wise i just think because so many things can go wrong the racing's so close it's so easy to make mistakes that when you find yourself winning three out of the first four rounds and you're a rookie, and by the way, the race that you didn't win, you were second. Um, it's, it is insanely incredible. Now, Greg, I want to go and go into that last lap because besides him just being that far behind going into the final lap, when we got down to that last corner, you got Dennis Anchu, Jami Masi, and Darren, Darren Binder all in the mix. Everybody's battling. Everybody's going into that last corner. And I just want to get your take I like your take last corner, last lap. Those guys all end up crashing, by the way. Anchu goes in, he goes in there and loses the front. He cleans out Masia. Poor Bender's on the outside of him. I do feel bad for Darren Bender because he's really, he's really managed to keep himself clean this year as far as himself making mistakes. But man, he got caught up in other people's business. I think Dennis Anju was the standout in the race. He, 
he he kept forcing the issue that he wanted to lead. But I yep. also thought that he was riding a bit over his head. Uh, boy, you and I, it's like it's pretty crazy how alike we are in this. Like, but but don't you kind of expect that from young guys? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think that we we you put a level of like it doesn't matter who it is in time. You talk about all the great racers of all time, even in our series and around whatever. You know, everybody's going to be able to say, yeah, you know, he's raised out of control. He's riding over his head. Yeah, I think I think every one of us have done that at some point. I mean, you go back, you think about Josh Hayes, you think about Steve Rapp. I mean, you go back, you go back in the day. Jamie Hacking. All you, of us. Before I mean, you everybody. knew Hacking, dude. Oh, yes. my God. I mean, all of us were crashes waiting to happen because youth and exuberance and desire you don't think about consequences. Um, the thing I, the thing about it for me that drives me insane is, is when you hear commentators talking about, oh, that's definitely going to be a penalty going into the next round, whether it is or whether it isn't. Oh my God. I don't feel like it's a commentator's business to say whether that should be. Those guys have never raced motorcycle in their life, and I look at it as last corner, last lap. What Dorna loves is the fact that there's 10 guys racing in the lead pack. Dorna loves the fact that there's 10 guys bouncing off each other. Dorna loves the fact that they got this Acosta kid who's come out of nowhere. Well, I shouldn't say that. He won Red Bull Rookies. Right. But nobody would have ever predicted he race, wins four and races. And they love the fact that he's Spanish. Yeah, that he wins three races on the trot, won podium four times. Look, it's last corner, last lap. It's every man for themselves. There could be mistakes made. I really hope, and I haven't read anything to say that they have, but I really hope they don't penalize him. I am over all this start lane or pit lane start <laughs> bullshit because at the end of the day, any one of those guys could have done it. Yeah, it was on to. I agree with your assessment that he was a little over his head during the race. He He's a little bit of a wild child, uh, but he wants to win. You don't want to just like kill I love that it. enthusiasm. I, I, dude, you, I love it. And, and you can sit the kid down and go, listen, listen, here's the deal. We feel that you're a little bit over your dome right now. <laughs> and you took out two guys in the last corner of the race. And we're going to keep an eye on you. We're going to be watching you. And we need to see. We don't want to take all the aggression out of you. But we need to just take a little bit of something out of you to where you. Yeah, like, listen, man, you be need a to be conscious. Be a little be conscious. mindful, right? Be, yes. be conscient. Be, be mindful of the fact that blah, 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 this is happening. If it happens again, we're going to have to take we're going to have to take a piece of your ass. Like, because I'm going to tell you right now, Greg, what these guys do in qualifying, in my opinion, when they're all stopping on the racetrack and they're doing stupid shit that's way more dangerous that that can clean out instant people innocent bystanders no question what happened here last corner last lap we've seen a thousand times we've seen it a thousand times and uh, in racetracks all over the world i'm just hoping that this doesn't come down as like some big penalty where he's got to start from pit lane i'm just kind of over the whole i know but here's the thing okay it's here to stay and i'm going to tell you why it's here to stay and i kind of alluded to this in a text the other night MotoGP 21, the video game came out. Oh and new gosh. to the video game is the f***ing long lap penalty. Are you dropping F-bombs on our podcast now? That's, I'm that's so, I'm so, <laughs> Jay, I'm so This is a pissed. gamer problem. This is a gamer issue. But dude, are you serious right yeah, now? You have a you long lap penalty in a video game? It's a video game. Yeah. Milestone missed the mark so big on this game. The play is garbage. I'm going to play it some more, but right now I'm giving it two thumbs down. Wow. Greg White going on a rant. Who would have ever thought? 
Dude, so pissed. I'm proud of you. So pissed. But yeah. you, you know, listen, man, when you start bringing rules like that into video games, yeah. First of all, they added track limit warnings to the video game, oh. and they added long lap penalties in the video game. It just I haven't seen out, it play it? out because I literally have raced MotoGP, Moto2, and Moto3, and I haven't done a lap. Not one effing lap have I made it. I crash all the time. The game is so bad. Yeah. Well, you can't. You can't even trail break anymore. Yeah. No, it's. You know the problem is, is that that standard has fifty five dollars back. That, I love it. G Dub on his literally on his post about maybe, a video game. I love it. <laughs> what did I text you? So Greg texted me this thing the other day. He's like, "You're not gonna believe this shit." He says that they're adding, you know, and I'm like, "What's going on, Greg?" He's like, "They're adding long lap penalties." Blah 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 blah. I'm like, "Greg, go get on your bicycle." To which I get a a it major was- a major f u. It's eleven thirty at night in where you are. <laughs> It was eleven thirty. Well, it was eleven forty. Yeah, but whatever. and I knew you were angry though. I mean, but yeah, dude, well, and, and I'm listen, with you though. I, I think it yeah, sucks. But what it I'm saying sucks. is, what I'm saying is, if it makes it into a video game, like it, 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 it seems like it's a priority for for Dorna and MotoGP to make it something. Like I don't, I don't even get it. So I'm like, okay, well, I guess, like literally, that was like the dagger. I was like, I guess this whole crap is here to stay. This yeah. long, I mean, I know that they've reconfigured racetracks and had to add sections and yeah, oh, yeah. you know, paint yeah. and stuff like that for long lap penalty, but. I don't know. What's, I, what's I so crazy think. about that to me is that is that no long lap penalty is going to be the same. Like in other words, you could have a long lap penalty that takes you five seconds, and at the next race, a long lap penalty could take you three well, seconds. Well, well, right. So but, but, you got pit, but pit lanes are different lengths too. So this, so I agree. No, I agree. There's yeah, no, yeah. there's no easy way about how to do this stuff. I guess. No, the um, problem. The problem I have, Jason, is the subjectivity of well, we don't know if we won until. You know, like, oh. well, I don't know. That was kind of a big move that I made. Let's talk to the subjective, you know, race direction and find out what Freddie Spencer has to say. Do I get a pass? Do I not get a pass? Did you guys think sitting up in your ivory tower that I was too aggressive? You know what I mean? Those types of things. And yeah. that's where the thing I love most about racing and the thing I love most about like sports that have finality, you know, like archery, there's a score, it's done. What we do is subjective, right? Some people like us commentating. Some people think we're absolute garbage and have signs that say, honk if you hate Greg White, right? Like those things exist. There is no finish line for us. There's no definitive answer. Yeah. And in racing, there has been for years. Yeah, I understand. You can have somebody, you know, like get disqualified from tech, you know, after the fact. I mean, it's always out there, but this thing just seems to take, the edge off. And like you're saying, Jay, about the commentary, I think it's difficult for those, for for the commentators because they're kind of trapped into a corner as a commentator. You want to be definitive. You want to say like this pass happened and this guy wins the race. And now it's almost like, well, this guy wins the race after knocking that guy off. So we'll have to wait until 30 minutes after to find out what race direction did. Well, let me, let me, let me just, and to close this off, because again, we got a lot of things still going on, but yeah, sorry. You know, one of the things that Greg and I take a lot of pride in is being able to do the job that we do. And it isn't my job or your job to determine if a writer is in the wrong. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Um, now really we care. can make our opinions on somebody making a hard pass or or doing something that is going to affect the race, but it isn't our job to come down on that rider and start to basically hand out a penalty that we think. Okay. So after the weekend was done on Sunday, I got pulled aside. Uh, I went upstairs to race control. I got pulled aside and was asked specifically, "Hey Jay, you know there was a call that we had to make today." And I said, "Listen, you made the hundred percent right call. There was never a doubt in my mind. You made the right call." You and I, when we saw the replay of the start, we did make comment that ah, it did look like Bobby crept a little bit. 
Again, not our call. We don't see the lights from the side angle that these guys see. We don't see, uh, you know, as far as officials go. Um, there's a there's a camera that goes down the line of each of each grid, so they can see if somebody actually rolled, not rolled, whatever the case is. But the thing is, is that I said even that like I almost felt bad even saying that oh maybe Bobby jumped the, the start. It did kind of look like it, and it and you know what? In Moto America's defense, the greatest thing about it was a. Bobby didn't bitch about it. Bobby just went on about it and said, Hey, I made a mistake. My little legs are too short. I got to figure <laughs> out, a, I got to figure out a problem. Right. So Bobby just like, was like, Hey, it, it is what it is. None of the team complained about it. Um, the other thing I liked is that Moto America took like five or six laps before they really, they really made sure the suss out the issue. Did this really happen? It might've been three or four laps, but right outside our window of our commentary boxes where start finish line was. So, while Greg, while while Greg would be talking, I would look out the window to see if they're getting the board ready for Bobby Fong, and they in fact were. But they were doing that. They really had a long look at it to make sure that they weren't going to determine somebody's race just off of like the start. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, so for me, when you look at these things, race control, Moto America wise, does a tremendous job. And I'm glad that you and I don't have to, you know, have to look at things and continuously make comments on if somebody did you know, track limits here, track limit. There's, there's some track limits that I think that you can look at and you go, okay, like in the moto three race, somebody got shoved off the track in turn four coming out of the fast left-hander. And you got in moto three, you got 15, 18 guys at the front and they're all battling. And inevitably is it's a better move that somebody is able to use the runoff that there is in that green paint and not connect bars and, and possibly crash or take out half the field. And when, when, oh, he's outside the track limits. Yeah, he's outside the track limits because he got pushed out there. You know, it's like, come on, man. Like, don't try to draw a scenario to make it look like, oh, he's going to get a track limits warning if he does that again. He got pushed out there. And that's what those guys are looking at in, in race control. Um, but anyways, moving forward, Greg, uh, I think MotoGP, Moto2, Moto3, again, Gonna great show. Don't, this yeah. weekend's going to be great at Lamar. I think I'm looking forward to it. Don't now with the, now with the rain, it's going to be crazy. We're crazy. Don't forget Greg's Garage Pod with Jason Pridmore, MotoGP Fantasy. Okay, so after Correct. that last race in Jerez, uh, Daytona 85 is leading the way at 446 points over... I can't, I can't see. Is it Poppy Wildcat? or Yeah, Poppy Wildcat, I think. You got it up. I don't have it up, oh. actually. So I'm... Okay. I was yeah. uh GP. Oh yeah. GW fans. Team yeah, Boar yeah. is in the mix. Uh, G dub is slow AF sitting in fifth spot over <laughs> V4 loco. I am sitting in 16th spot in our pool right now. Just ahead You're of killing me. It. You're doing good. Dude. I'm doing okay. Yeah. You're but my great. boy, Dan Yaz is sitting there in DJ 30 X. My uh, boy, our- Rusty is, is G dub slow AF. Oh, okay. Well, Rusty can suck it. Oh, um, so mean. Isn't that mean? So mean. By the That's way, great. Jay, we're I'm in multiple pools, right? And so the, the let's go pool that we're in, where we have eight players and there's money on the line. Yep. Yeah, I'm leading that battle. I boy. know, man. It's you're you're actually you've stepped up your game. I have to say, you have stepped it up. So I'm very proud of you, G. Oh, gee, thanks. And in the thirteen thousand one hundred ninety six people that are playing MotoGP fantasy right now in the public league, I'm 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 nine hundred ninth. Dude, you're doing great, man. Yeah, I, I you know I love to rip on you, but you're doing a good job. Let's you know. Like, let's get off you now for just a second because, you know, congrats, Greg. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Let's move on. Supercross happened. Supercross happened and then the inevitable happened. I think we all kind of felt like, yeah, let's go. Cooper Webb. Man, Cooper Webb is good. Like, 
I don't even know how these guys bounce back from that. I mean, already I go into next year thinking, who's going to be Cooper Webb? I don't think anybody's going to beat Cooper Webb for a couple of years to go. We understand that there's going to be some major switching of teams going on, but man, Greg and I, before we did this podcast, like let's just congratulate the champions, which were Cooper Webb, uh, Justin Cooper, and um, come on, G-Dub, help me out. Colt Nichols. Colt Nichols, thank you. Colt Nichols, uh, 250 East, 250 West, and then obviously Cooper Webb won. But I just want to take a second to say that like when you look at this class, when you look at Supercross, these guys with the amount of, you know, they're going to crash during the year, the injuries that happen, blah, 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 blah. Cooper Webb, what he did at the final race, where all he's got to do is roll around in 18th place. I saw a quote by Roger DeCoster that just said basically like this guy's, he's kind of a machine. Like nothing really gets to him. He just knows what he's what he's capable of. There was no doubt in my mind who was going to win this race once it started. Because he gets he's in second off the start. And he's just hassling Roxon. Like <laughs> bullying him. Bullying him. And I hate it for Ken Roxon. All of us want to see Ken Roxon win a championship after what he has gone through. And I just love him. But he's bullied. Cooper Webb has his number. No question. And and did you see the meme where um did you see that? I, mean, I don't know if you saw it. I don't know if I sent it to you. But it's basically they've put a picture of a face on a guy, and it's Cooper Webb's face. And then there's a backpack with a little boy in the back, and he's got Ken Roxon <laughs> on the face of that. And I'm like, oh my yeah, gosh. That meme's come out with um they were doing that back when like Eli uh what's his name and freaking Tom Brady and yeah, it's the same meme. It's been out for a while. I haven't it's seen that one. I actually very, haven't seen very it. Very offensive. Uh, yeah, really offensive. Um the thing is, is that it's like, you know, it's it's going to be a mental thing for Rox and to, you know, for, for him to win this championship, it's going to take, it's he's going to have to battle this kid. So looking at it overall, I mean, Cooper Webb ends up winning the final race. Muscan comes through at the end of the year and gets his second podium. He goes 1-2 the final races of the year. Um, congrats to all the Super Supercross champions that there were. Yep. And speaking of congrats, and Jay, let's yeah, the, do the pulp. Yep. Yeah. So Pulp MX Fantasy is over and Hucklebuck Racing wins it. 3,807 points over MK84 in second and, and off the ceiling in third, uh, Poncho in fourth, Jason Pridmore coming in outside the top 10 yeah, in Loserville in 12th place. Hey, I was happy with that. I'm okay with it. I had yeah. a couple bad results. Well, you definitely beat Gilbert. Um, yeah, Chuck he a- missed a round. I feel bad I know. he missed a round. You know? Chuck Axlin. And, yeah. I beat all you guys. That's the main thing. I beat Chuck. Well, see, if you were in archery, okay, and yeah. what you would have done, because they, they think that this is called sportsmanship in archery. If you have a bad arrow, like if like there was a gold medal match on Sunday, and this dude for the gold medal match, two guys that I know, one guy went to knock up his arrow. You have 20 seconds to shoot your arrow. One guy went to knock up his arrow, had a problem. It kind of bounced off his cheek, and it hit the ground. Yeah. And the guy next to him grabbed his arrow and threw it on the ground. Uh, I was like, dude, what, what, in the sh- what are you doing? Yeah. You know? Because actually every single point matters because they're shooting for the U.S. national team. And it was like uh, half the people were like, oh, sportsmanship. And I'm like, dude, you're shooting for a gold medal. Yeah. You know, you're shooting for, for 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 literally money and you're shooting for, to be on the U.S. team. I'm like, I don't agree with that at all. Well, so I kind of laughed because I was like, well, Jason, if you're so upset that Gilbert and I missed, how come you oh, didn't no, just? Oh, no, no, no. Trust why me. Didn't you- <laughs> I'm just being a nice guy. It doesn't mean that I want you guys to win. And it doesn't mean I can't help it. Yeah, no, I'm. That's what Don't, I'm saying, people. There well, is no with nice you, guy, Jason. Let me, let me explain team. something. With you, you could have uh-huh. missed two rounds. It wouldn't uh-huh. matter to me. Gilbert uh-huh. Gilbert, legitimately was doing pretty well. Yeah, I know. I finished on page two at the end of the day. Yeah, But, dude, you're crushing it in MotoGP. So that's the ma- that's really good. 
So, Greg, while we were down in Atlanta, there was so much going on in Atlanta because just up the road from us, sort of 20 minutes, was NHRA, and they were doing their final race at that uh, at that um, commerce, yeah, at commerce, commerce yeah. Uh, so I was bummed because I would have loved, I would have loved to have gone up to that race and and checked it out. Um, but anyways, uh, but down south of us, about an hour, hour and twenty. Um, American Flat Track was racing and they were doing a race at Atlanta Motor Speedway that very much resembled what they tried to do at Daytona, where they, they ran a little bit on the pavement and then into the dirt. And it was kind of a TT race. And of course, our boy JD Beach, he does pretty well at those ones. So <laughs> I guess you could say JD ends up <laughs> JD ends up winning the race, smoking those guys. Uh Vandercool well, nice he, job. He led every session. He pulled every race. I mean, yeah, yeah, like it was, it was a made yep. I hate to say it, but it was a made for JD type track. Oh yeah. I mean it yeah. and, and, the Yamaha, and the Yamaha. And the I talked course. to JD about it too. It was yeah, because you had three or four Indians. Right, we had three Indians right behind him. Vandercool, Bauman, Fisher ends up fourth. Carlisle on the other Yamaha, uh JD Beach's teammate, he ends up fifth. Halbert Bauman. How about Tyler O'Hara? I actually threw a shout out to Tyler O'Hara. I sent him a text. I'm like, man. What you did that weekend is pretty good. He was going back and forth. He went down to Atlanta. Then he went down at, you know, after they qualified, he went down to go check out the, the Atlanta Motor Speedway track. Then he drove all the way back up to do baggers the next day. Then he drove all, you know, so he was, he was going all over the place. I think Friday he drove down Saturday. He went back uh, to do the bagger stuff. Saturday night, he drove back down to do the, 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 the flat track race. And then Sunday drives back up and does the, the baggers. Uh, he ends up doing a really nice job in eighth and our boy, the worm, Good old Pegram. The worm. I, I talked to Pegram this week. <clears throat> oh yeah, and and uh, yeah, really interesting conversation with Larry. You know, he's still so wrapped up in racing. He still loves it. He's a business guy now, but he's you know he's doing some dirt track. Good chance we're probably going to see him do some road racing too. Still, uh, Robert Pearson, Robinson, Bryce, uh, Brandon Price. Our boy Raspoli ends up thirteenth. He encountered some problems. Didn't quite get all the laps, and I think at the end, um, as far as that goes, JD Beach now leads leads the championship. Greg with fifty five. Ah. And 52. Good to see JD having, um, you know, getting some results. It was a tough year last year for those guys, obviously in, um, in the flat track championship. When you look at the other big story, I mean, I don't think we need to go through all the results, but Dallas no, Daniels, no, no. Dallas Daniels yeah. goes out and wins the twins cup. Uh, the, uh, the production twins class main event first race he's ever done on that. And he wins the singles, uh, as the defending champ. There's been some really cool slow motion stuff. If you not, haven't looked at it, check out Dallas Daniels' Instagram page. Um, the first turn there was really interesting because they, you know, it was, it was really really long on pavement, so it was really kind of fun watching these guys control those bikes um, sideways, sliding it backing it in on pavement, and then obviously uh, a little straightaway after that in the dirt. I don't, I don't know, Greg. Did you watch the race? Did you get to see it? I watched the highlights of it. I didn't get to see the race itself, but I did watch like an extended highlights of it. Track looked interesting. JD Beach was ridiculous, but to Dallas Daniels, I mean, forget about it. You know, and and like in the in the singles class, Michael Rush was on his his tailpipe too, and Carduce ends yes, up on was. the box. But yes. in that in that singles class, props have to go out to Ryan Sipes, who has been banged up. Just a few weeks ago, we saw a huge crash from him in Supercross. He finishes eighth, right ahead of Travis Pastrana, who makes the singles main on the Red Bull KTM. So good to see Pastrami you know, back in action. So yeah. it was good. To, it was, it was in a way a little prideful to see, you know, road racers turn flat track or flat trackers turn road racers, turn back to flat trackers yeah. in yeah. Dallas Daniels and JD beach, you know, sweep the weekend as well as the essence and racing team as they were a part of our paddock. So, and I, and I hope, and I hope we get those guys back. I hope we get Dallas. Dan I mean, Dallas Daniels right now is on a path 
where he's kind of the young, he's the young guy in that series who's got a huge future in dirt track. If that's the choice that he makes, uh, we, I, I hear, you know, I heard those guys talking a little bit, making like Nikki like references because, because of what Nikki did in dirt track and how good mm-hmm. he was. And we already know how good Dallas is in, in road racing as well. I think that, you know, he comes back now, maybe he gets on a 600 or whatever. Um, you know, he could maybe follow the footsteps of, of what Nikki did. Um, he's obviously super talented young man. Um, but you know, I, I do miss having JD in our paddock. I miss having Dallas in our paddock as well. I'll tell you what though, if JD beach wins this championship, I think the, the twilight will be set on him coming road racing in the future set in, in flat track. But mm. I can tell you this long season for those guys still. Yeah. yeah. J- JD in speaking with JD a couple days ago and we, and just talking in general, you know, he mentioned that he has some unfinished business in Superbike for sure. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, and he's a motivated guy and you just, you know, I love JD. He's such a good dude. So, um, anyways, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's for me, Greg, like when I watch the race, the thing that's most exciting for me is what for that race specifically was actually watching the bike control of JD, watching the bike control of Dallas Daniels, but racing to me and talking to a few of the guys that participated in it, the track sucked. Um, it, it, it's, I know that they're trying to sort of reinvent some things, you know, you, you know, but the tracks themselves, um, they're just, they create one line racing. It was like Volusia all over again, but in a little different form, it was very hard to pass. There were some passes. Don't get me wrong, but it's just, it's, um, yeah. And you know, Jason, the tracks are critical. So in talking really, to JD, it's, it's, I, it's, yeah, I did hard. ask JD about the Yamaha development and he said, look, our bike is a lot better than it was last year. Yeah. No question. You know, Davey Jones is in there as, you know, like obviously used to work with, you know, at Yosh for years and stuff. And he's really helping develop that bike. But JD said, we're still plagued with the same thing. If we go to a track that doesn't have a lot of traction, the Yamaha suffers. If we have traction, we're good. Yeah. So the tracks are, are, are make so much more of a difference, I think, you know, than obviously what we deal with because we're asphalt, we're more consistent. You know, ours are based more on tires. So, you know, what you're talking about with flat track is critical. And when you're speaking about those, those racetracks and how they're laid out, how they race and all that stuff is, is really important for their championship moving forward. Yeah. No question. And I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's a long season for those guys. What was that round two for them? So Mm -hmm. they still got got, three round three, third third round. Yeah. Yeah, They go to tech, they go to Texas next. Uh, They're in Chicago area, Oklahoma, they're racing all around the country. And so, you know, listen, it was good to see that, that at least the two series, uh, you know, if you, I think if you bought like a ticket for whatever night, you know, you got a discount or something for flat track with Moto America, yeah. like the, the two were actually working together, which I thought was great, but no, it anyway, is great. It is yeah, great. congratulations to Dallas and to JD beach. And we'll keep an eye definitely on that championship as well. Um, because you know, we, we, we have a lot of people that we like in that championship racing it up. All right, Jay, that's pretty much it on next week's show. We're going to talk obviously Moto GP. We're going to preview the second round uh, of the season at VIR. Make sure you get some tickets and join us. But also, Jason, uh, next week we're going to preview World Superbike because they're finally back in action and they're in Spain. So we're going to preview that and whatever other nonsense comes up this weekend. A look ahead is uh, to our race calendar. Obviously, MotoGP in France. NHRA Drag Racing is in Charlotte, North Kakalaki, if you're in the area. AMA Pro Hill Climb in Scottsburg, Indiana. I'm telling you, 
If you're near Scottsburg, Indiana, go see AMA Pro Hill Climb. It is a hoot and a holler and so cool to watch. Go see those people. Uh, National Enduro is in Arlington, Virginia. AMA Hair Scrambles is going on east in New York, and the west is in Idaho. So there you go, which means Jason Pridmore, as always, if there's any other business to talk about, anything else you want to wrap up, you mention it here and now, or you say goodbye. Well, I'll say this. After going to Atlanta and seeing the amount of crowds that we had, and we know how big the crowds have been at VIR in the past. Oh, and boy. I, I'm expecting there to be a lot of people there for us in a couple of weeks. And when we preview next week, it's going to be interesting to see. You know, We should start making some predictions on these race weekends because it it is really wide open and um, each one of these weeks. So it was a busy one for us today. Uh, sorry again, but we missed last week. I think I got a lot of text messages. Did you? Did you get? I, when I went out to Chuck Walla this weekend, they're like, "Hey, what happened to the podcast?" Nah, nobody, nobody talks to me. Well, that's a reason for that. But, anyways, it, <laughs> yeah, it, I got a couple people ask yeah, about it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, it was, it was pretty wild. So, uh, lots to look forward to. I'm actually headed to, I'm actually headed to Laguna this next weekend. Really? So yeah, pretty has got a day up there on Monday. So we're going to do some coaching up there on Monday, which will be fun. We're going to be doing some coaching at VIR also G-Dub on the Monday, right after uh, the races. Uh, Aprilia has a day there on that Monday, right after VIR. And I've invited you to come and join us with that. So um, take yeah. the multi-strata for a few laps in the Aprilia day. I think you, you should think? Uh, put your bow on the back. <laughs> Is there a way that I could ride? And you could shoot at people while we're riding. Well, I could, but you'd have to approve it through Richie Alexander and Hudson Valley Motorcycles because it's their motorcycle. And I don't think he'd let you ride it. I don't think I'd have to. You could shoot off the back. Let me tell or you. Or actually, let me, let I'll me put say, an arrow me, in your me, hand and yeah. then you could throw the arrow at somebody. I'm going to tell you right now, if, if uh-huh. it's me having to ask Richie if I can ride your bike, he'd probably give me that bike and take it away from you. So uh, getting know. that's going to be really, really easy. That would be. Uh, I so don't anyways. know. Anyways, so yeah, we've got some fun stuff coming up. And well, hold then, on. Before you wrap yeah, it up, Jay, yeah. I want to say this, but because you brought it up. If you are listening to this deep and you're coming to VIR this weekend or especially Road America, ticket sales are through the roof. So if you're thinking about coming to Road America and you're coming from out of town, start to look at hotels and yes. stuff. They are filling up. I mean, this is the way it's totally a different year. If you've been to Moto America races before, start to plan ahead. Jason, as you know, airline tickets are expensive. Oh, Rental cars are getting outrageously expensive and hotels are as well, but they're also filling up. So if you're planning on coming to a Moto America race this year, plan ahead, start to look at the races you want to go to and start to get your reservations at Airbnbs or or hotels because yeah, it's a it's different it's a different year. Yeah, it's crazy. And what you say, great. I mean, hotels at VIR were what they were. They're non-existent in Road America. Like I'm going Airbnb at Rural America with a with a group of the guys, and because <clears throat> the hotels and stuff that I've stayed at in the past completely full, everything's full. Um, it's a it's a total bummer, but but it's great on the other hand too. So um, yeah, it's great, and I think Rural America is going to be packed full of people, um, as will VIR. So on that note, Greg, thanks for a great week. Let's do it again next week. <laughs>